0: You want to go ahead and read the thing?
1: Here we go. Sebastião José de Carvalho e Melo, the first Marquis of Pombal, had sent an inquiry to every parish in Portugal. The questions were common enough to the parish heads. There were questions about the number of parishioners, religious buildings, and orders in their parish any important people from their parish, there were questions about the towns and cities themselves, their nearby rivers, nearby mountains, and the weather. However, it's question number 26 that proved to be of immense importance to historians and the entire field of seismology. Question 26 asks if the parish had sustained earthquake damage in 1755 and asked for details regarding the nature of the damage and how things were rebuilt. The follow-up, question number 27, asks for a recounting of, quote, anything else worthy of memory and not asked, end quote. The parish leaders dutifully filled out their answers and sent them back to Lisbon, and their answers were collated and used to push Lisbon and all of Portugal into modernity, out of tragedy an opportunity for improvement. But the tragedy itself nearly overwhelmed not only Lisbon, not only Portugal, but the very concepts of humanity and divinity in much of Europe. On this episode of Relative Disasters, an earthquake that hit so hard it shook the foundations of state and church. The 1755 Lisbon Earthquake. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their contexts, implications, and any related sidebars we get distracted with. I'm Greg, your host for this episode.
0: And I'm his sister Ella, your
1: co-host. Our main sources for this episode are the books 1755 O Terremoto de Lisboa by Yao Duarte Fonseca. This Gulf of Fire by Mark Maleski, great title. Yep, Wrath of God by Edward Pace,
0: another great title.
1: Yeah, we're we're gonna yeah we're gonna explain why they all have titles like this. And The Last Day by Nicholas Schrady, as well as articles from the archives of Torre do Tombo, with regards to the subject. And big thank you to them. Uh, that's the National Archive for the country of Portugal. Cool. Uh, for having so much of this stuff online. And a big thank you for Google Translate. So I didn't also have to uh, learn Portuguese for this episode. No, I mean, you could do it. <laughs> you had two c- weeks, I, Greg. <laughs> I had two weeks to come <laughs> up with it.
0: Excellent. Right. That's that's a lot of sources. Very good.
1: And and honestly, the the archives, the National Archives of Portugal. Hang on one second, because this is going to be my first quick sidebar here. Okay. Because the National Archive of... Portugal was established in 1378. Nice. And it's still cooking. That's really um, early. Okay. Yeah. It was renamed in 2009 to the Institute of the National Archives, Instituto dos Arquivos Nacionales. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, most people still just call it the National Archive of Torre do Tombo. Very cool. Uh, it's a very cool building, too. Like, you should check the architecture. Okay. Okay. So, the cultural climate of Portugal in the mid-1700s was rough. Mm -hmm. So, Portugal had had an empire, uh, a seafaring dynasty that was on par with the empires of Britain, France, and Spain. Portugal had expanded to modern-day Brazil, colonizing the area with plantation agriculture and, of course, enslaving people. Once gold was discovered in Brazil, it fueled further expansion of Portugal's reach. Mm -hmm. And finding diamond mines in the early 1700s was just more wood on the fire. In the 1700s, almost 80% of the gold in Europe came from the mines in Brazil.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking a real powerhouse.
1: We're talking an awful lot of money. Mm -hmm. However... Portugal's actual rule was shakier than it seemed. They were overextended, but they had so much money. They had so much money. They could hire so many people, uh, but they had overextended. And at the time, they were pretty much relying on the Catholic Church to keep the populace more or less, you know, under control and satiated. So
0: this was not trickling down. <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling me that trickle down economics does not work? Right?
1: Can I can I tell you my favorite trickle down economics joke? Is it gonna right make now? me
0: cry or make me laugh? Yes. Okay.
1: So I, I saw a guy on the street the other day asking for change. So I put a ten dollar bill in the mailbox of the wealthiest house in town because I know it's gonna make it to him eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is how this is how bad the uh, the the trickle down here was. Mm-hmm. A fifth of all of the gold that was mined.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: belonged by royal right to the royal family
0: okay
1: so there's that and they were also levying some extremely burdensome taxes on the brazilian people who were running the mines and managing the mines and all that stuff Mm -hmm. uh so all of this stuff was laying the groundwork for brazilian independence yeah and the Enlightenment movement was spreading over Europe, and so people were beginning to kind of chafe under the heel of the church. Sounds about right. Especially in Portugal, where the Inquisition was still alive and well.
0: Oh, man. Really?
1: Yeah. In the 17 yeah.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yep. So things in Portugal were ripe for having... You know, a domino fall to bring the whole thing down. It does
0: sound a little top heavy uh, the way you're describing it.
1: It, it was uh, the current king, Joseph I, mm-hmm. was disinterested in ruling. I mean, with all that money laying around, what incentive did he have to go to work? No,
0: he's busy swimming through his swimming pool of gold coins, it's
1: like Scrooge like McDuck Scrooge style. McDuck. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that can take a lot of your day. You'd be surprised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Especially with that much gold. Yep. The people were restless. The church was oppressive. People had been emigrating to the Brazilian colonies so much that the king had had to outlaw emigration to there. I
0: mean, come on, wouldn't you?
1: (laughs) And uh, what would fall was not a single domino. It was the equivalent of someone flipping over the table on which the dominoes were standing. Mm. As I said, Joseph I wasn't really in it for the whole king business. And he had appointed someone to essentially manage the day-to-day ruling of the country. Sure. This job title was the appointment of Secretary of State of the Internal Affairs of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. In modern parlance, it is a, basically a prime minister. Sure. And fortunately, he picked a very competent person for the job. The figure that stands tallest in this era of Portuguese history— Sebastião José de Carvalho e Melo, the first Marquis of Pombal. All right. So we've got to talk about this guy. We've got to talk about Pombal. On the one hand, he led a number of reforms and essentially single-handedly drove the modernization of Portugal. Mm -hmm. On the other, he was a dictator with no checks on his power. Like many historical figures, he did some good things and he did some bad things.
0: Very disappointing.
1: I know. Why can't
0: people either be... (laughs) A villain or Be a hero? Be perfect
1: or, yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier. We like our narratives simple.
0: Okay. Well, if you got to get all shades of gray on me.
1: Uh, sorry. Sorry. It's it's this awful thing called reality. Ugh. So, Pombal was not royal born. Mm-hmm. He was the son of a country squire, uh, which is a landed gentry. Mm-hmm. Someone who is allowed to own and lease land that ostensibly belongs to the king, but they make all the money off of right. it. Uh, Pombal was able to attend university. He enlisted in the Portuguese army and rose to the rank of corporal, went back to academia, and then returned to his family estate when he eloped with a nobleman's niece at the age of 34. Sure. Living his wildlife, right? Uh, (laughs) He's just vibing. (laughs) Now, his uncle was a prominent man in the church, and he secured Pombal an ambassadorship to Great Britain. After that, he served as ambassador to Austria, and when Joseph I came to the throne, he chose Pombal with his reputation as a statesman and not of one who played the court politics of the day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he chose Pombal to be his de facto prime minister.
0: Interesting choice. Now, Pombal's,
1: okay. It is a good choice, actually. Um, Pombal is very, very competent. Uh, his early reign was stiffly opposed by the hereditary nobility of Portugal. They saw him as unworthy, and but he's not even a real nobleman. Mm. So the king invented the title of the Marquis de Pombal for him, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, but his excellent handling of the earthquake of 1755 squashed the noble's ability to portray him as unworthy of the power. Hey. Now, the years after the quake saw him oversee the response to the Tevora Affair, which was an attempted assassination of the king, mm-hmm. uh, and it led Pombal to order the executions of everyone even tangentially involved, oh, which wiped out a good number of the Portuguese nobility, whether they'd had a hand in the plot or not. And with the nobles out of the way, Pombal successfully oversaw the suppression of the Jesuits. Remember them from the slave sale I episode?
0: Sure do. They're hard to forget.
1: They are. Pombal's the reason they had to go running to America.
0: Huh. Oh, it all comes full circle, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's almost as though history constantly intersects. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. So. Back. Now, I will say that Pombal did a lot of good things in his life. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he ran some sweeping commercial reforms Mm -hmm. that allowed a sort of middle class to exist for the first time. Oh,
0: that's exciting.
1: It's really cool. Uh, He fostered alliances with Great Britain to help Portugal stave off an invasion from Spain. Mm -hmm. He ended the importation of enslaved people to Portugal and Portuguese India, which was very cool of him. He weakened the Portuguese Inquisition, uh, taking away a lot of their power, and he allowed the faction that was known as New Christians—these were non-European people who had been baptized into the church but had always been treated very, very poorly—he mm-hmm. um, allowed them to have civil rights within Portugal for the first time.
0: Interesting. Are we talking like the, like the Ethiopian Christians
1: yeah any anybody that wasn't European descent and lived in Portugal huh. and was also baptized he he basically gave them civil rights That's
0: really interesting however, okay.
1: on the other side of the balance sheet, we have the fact that Pombal ruled as an autocrat with absolute power mm. uh, he curtailed civil liberties he had political rivals arrested or otherwise suppressed. And while he stopped the slave trade within Portugal, he outright fostered it in Brazil. Yeah. So, again, not great. Okay. However, for the purposes of this episode, he is—he's kind of our—he's certainly our protagonist. I can't call him our hero, but he is certainly our protagonist. Okay. Uh, Because without his swift action during and adaptability afterwards the earthquake's effects would have been much, much worse.
0: Okay, good to know.
1: So, we come to November 1st, which is a Sunday, which is All Saints Day. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: An earthquake of at least 7.7 and possibly 9.0 on the moment magnitude scale hit. The epicenter? was about 300 kilometers south of Lisbon in the Atlantic Ocean on the Azores-Gibraltar Fault. Hmm. Survivors stated that it lasted for about three to six minutes in Lisbon.
0: Oh, that's too long for an earthquake.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, information from the offshore islands speaks of a series of massive tsunamis that wiped out most life on those islands. Oh, dang. However, the city of Faro. On the southern coast was protected by the sandy banks of ria formosa Mm -hmm. and was pretty much spared the entirety of the tsunamis oh
0: that's interesting
1: yeah it's really cool now i am saying tsunamis because at least three and as many as nine hit lisbon
0: oh that's too many this is it's too many tsunamis right this is huge yeah how do we get that Um, rating
1: they were because of the excellent historical record mm-hmm. from that uh, from that inquiry that I mentioned in the uh, in the thing this time. Oh,
0: Interesting. We had
1: people from all over Portugal mm-hmm. sent in their recollection of what their parish did at the time, how the earthquake affected them, and all that. And it's been held as a historical document.
0: So we got some data.
1: We'll get we'll get to why that's really cool. Very cool. All right. Um, so basically, a a fissure about five meters wide mm. ran through the city center of Lisbon. Mm-hmm. The immediate survivors ran towards the docks because the docks were safe. However, uh, this is this is the moment when the horror the horror movie music starts playing oh, because. The sea receded out.
0: Oh, that's not a good sign.
1: That's not what you want, no. <laughs> uh, it receded out so far that about uh, 30 to 80 meters of land was exposed to sunlight for the first time in however long the ocean's been there, nope. uh, revealing mud with like fully visible shipwrecks in
0: it. Oh, no. That is a horror yep.
1: movie. Yep. Yep. So about 40 minutes after that, the first tsunami hits. Uh, and these tsunamis, obviously, they were moving incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And they were likely anywhere from 20 to 80 meters. Jeez. Now, 20 meters... For our imperial friends is sixty-six feet high. So multiply that by four, and that's the the absolute upper range of. Oh my God! Did they throw the whole ocean at them? I mean, that's a skyscraper. Exactly. Yikes. um Okay. The first the first tsunami hit so fast that people on horseback
0: mm-hmm. were
1: the only ones to escape mm. because they were able to get to higher ground running at. Full gallop. Oh, dang. Okay. At least two and as many as six more tsunamis hit. Mm -hmm. And this is what actually sparked a lot of the damage. Because it's All Saints Day. Mm -hmm. And in the Catholic tradition of All Saints Day, people had an awful lot of lit candles. Oh, no. Yeah. All of which, of course, get knocked over in the earthquake or knocked over by the tsunamis. And we had ourselves an actual firestorm. Oh jeez, okay. Which sucked up so much oxygen it was asphyxiating people 30 meters away from the fire itself
0: Ooh. That is so really yeah apocalypse You're a
1: hundred feet away from the from the burning and you, and can't you have yeah oh man and you have no air exactly-. Oh. Okay. It's terrifying. So it's estimated that the the death toll in Lisbon. Lisbon had a population of around 200,000 people at the time. Mm-hmm. It's estimated that as many as 30,000, or as few as 1,200, mm-hmm. which seems way too low for me, uh, were killed. Hmm. And that's just killed, not not the injured. Yeah. Um. And this is the real the real figure that leaped out at me. Mm-hmm. Between the quake itself, the tsunamis, and the fire, 85% of the buildings standing in Lisbon at the time were destroyed completely.
0: So this place was leveled.
1: It was leveled, it was burned, and uh, it was soaked. I mean, we lost um, the Lisbon opera house mm-hmm. which had been opened just seven months before
0: oh,
1: no. uh, um i bet it was really fancy and it was like too. some it was very fancy from all from all uh from all accounts of it um and it was like the buildings that had survived the earthquake mm-hmm. got wiped out by the fire
0: and the ones that survived <laughs> that got burned down is yeah that where we're... it's pretty bad that is yeah horrific okay
1: um the royal palace uh On the Tagus River was uh, destroyed by the earthquake first Mm -hmm. and then basically crushed into rubble by the the repeated tsunamis. Mm -hmm. And this one, I know this one's gonna hurt you. Okay, so brace yourself for this one. (laughs) (laughs) It's the 70,000-volume royal library contained inside it. Oh, dang. As well as hundreds of works of art, Mm -hmm. including paintings by Rubens, Correggio, Titian, um, the royal archives with the actual historical records of Vasco da Gama. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: All of it were gone.
0: You know, I... Just destroyed. (laughs) To talk about the property damage and the loss of those kind of irreplaceable artifacts is one section, but I really have to feel for all the people who must have just been missing after this.
1: Yeah, that was absolutely one of the big things. Um, One of the reasons why it's really hard to nail down the actual death toll Mm -hmm. is that so many people either were crushed by falling buildings, Mm -hmm. were burned in the firestorm part of the fire so badly that there, like, weren't remains. Mm-hmm. And that's impressive. Yeah. Or were swept, were, were, you know, crushed and their bodies swept out to sea in the tsunamis.
0: I just, loss so, on that scale is...
1: Is, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot.
0: It's really horrifying to think about. And that that's a huge proportion of the city's population. Yes, um, and it's, it's on just going to get worse. That. Okay, all right, make it worse. Well, Greg.
1: We've here. Here comes the worst part. Okay, because the royal, the royal hospital of all saints, mm-hmm. which was the like the hospital, was struck by the firestorm. They were unable to evacuate most of the patients, mm-hmm. and most of the patients were burned to death in that. Man. Um.
0: And this was not a there predictable is... event at all. This would have been just a shock.
1: No. Right. Exactly. It's not like now, a hurricane. The, what's interesting where you
0: have bad weather before. And it just gets right, worse and worse. Right. Okay. There's no warning Absolutely for no any warning. of this.
1: Okay. Now this is not the first time that Lisbon had been struck by an earthquake. Really. Though. But it was the first time in a couple hundred years. Okay. In fact, one of the one of the problems we have about researching the earlier earthquakes that struck Lisbon was that most of their documentation was destroyed in this
0: earthquake yeah
1: so that's the yeah. historical
0: record man that's the problem with
1: it it's the problem if it's not when, kept when history around. itself gets destroyed yeah. yeah there is a building called the Carmo convent mm-hmm. uh, the convent of Our Lady of Mount Carmel mm-hmm. um, is uh, still today preserved in its post-quake, post quake post firestorm shape
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh as a standing monument to the destruction oh interesting um so is it still intact no it's all ruins like there's no roof but like the stone archways are still there huh there's no walls but like the the columns are still there it's it's really really amazing now lisbon was not the only city to be struck by this Mm -hmm but we simply don't have as much of a historical archive of this, mm-hmm. uh, was Morocco.
0: Morocco, the country?
1: The country of Morocco was struck by...
0: Morocco is in North Africa, is it not? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes,
1: Morocco is in North <laughs> I was Africa. I trying to... Yes.
0: I'm trying to imagine all the th- places that are between... Lisbon. yep
1: and there's a, well, there's a whole ocean there. You see. Yeah, I understand. But the problem that. is, is that
0: but the but the epicenter <laughs> but the would have that, been in the ocean. Okay.
1: But the epicenter, exactly. The epicenter gotcha. was in the ocean. I gotcha. And so it slammed into Morocco as well, and not only Morocco, mm-hmm. but twenty meter tall tsunamis struck Martinique and Barbados, which is all the way across the Atlantic Ocean.
0: Holy moly! Okay, so this thing
1: traveled. Oh wait, there's more. Okay. <laughs> a Three meter tsunami hit Cornwall. Okay. You know, the south coast of Britain. Um, <laughs> the west coast of Ireland, mm-hmm. the city of Galway, was hit. And the latest research has determined that the tsunami waves themselves probably reached the coast of Brazil. Wow. All the way across the Atlantic because the. Remember that Brazil was colonized by the Portuguese Mm -hmm. so the Portuguese Brazilian uh, mine overseers and village overseers were sending letters back to Portugal talking about uh, damage from giant waves at this time interesting okay so that's yeah so I had no idea that
0: tsunami waves could travel that far that's really fascinating
1: with an earthquake of this size Mm -hmm. absolutely huh now What's interesting about the earthquake itself was was again the the time period three to six minutes, mm-hmm. which is way too long for an earthquake of that magnitude. Yeah, I'm I'm a and ten
0: second to thirty second maximum. Yep. Absolutely, <laughs> in the yep. earthquakes Absolutely. that I <laughs> that I am okay with.
1: And we we do not want uh, we do not want any earthquakes that last any longer. I
0: can't imagine living through that. 3 to 6 minutes. God, it yeah. must have felt like an eternity.
1: Well, and that's the thing. It felt like for a lot of these people like the end of the world.
0: Absolutely. And I mean the firestorm, the earthquake yep. and the tsunami the, taking place. The earthquake right after followed each
1: other. by the tsunamis followed by the firestorm is is basically Something that uh, it seems like real end of days stuff. Because I've seen stuff
0: like that in movies, disaster movies. And you're in the audience going, this is so comforting to watch in a movie because it could never possibly happen that way in real life. Okay, this is very unsettling.
1: So not only does this seem apocalyptic, Mm -hmm. but keep in mind, this happened on one of the more important religious holidays. Yeah. Keep in mind. Almost every single church in the city of Lisbon had been destroyed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is some Wrath of God stuff right here. This is some
1: Wrath of God stuff. And and at the time, of course, Portugal is very much a Roman Catholic state, Right. right? Now, a lot of theologians mm-hmm. a lot of religious philosophers a lot of just regular people couldn't help but think maybe this was literally divine judgment
0: i mean when we talk about humans and religion and superstition like like we can yep. make connections between all kinds of things and this yeah. the spiritual world but this seems like a really like not a big stretch <laughs> To me, if these three seems, things happen yeah. to me on one morning, I'm seriously questioning
1: everything. Whether whether God wants me personally to be wiped out, yeah, yeah.
0: I can I can absolutely imagine this was a real religious crisis,
1: and it actually absolutely was. Mm-hmm. And and keep in mind that the Enlightenment movement is also sweeping through Europe at the time. Yep. So the Enlightenment people had a field day with this because it was like, look, if you believe in God. And you believe that God is doing this mm-hmm. what are you doing believing in an angry vengeful God
0: like that? I mean this right? is one step beyond like the God in the Old Testament is pretty, pretty yeah. Hot-headed, yeah yeah, yeah. He's but, pillars of salt <laughs> but he's and, not yeah. sending this amount of destruction
1: wow well, he's he is he's just spreading it out a little bit okay so interestingly enough, this gave rise to a religious philosophy called theodicy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is a Greek term meaning vindication of God. Okay, And what that is, is it is a religious argument, which is attempting to basically resolve the dichotomy between an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God... Mm-hmm. And the fact that bad things still happen. I mean, right? this is what
0: we struggle with, right? As humans.
1: Right. Exactly. It's literally what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, nice to know that we've
0: is... always been struggling with that.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the interesting thing about this is that um, it, this is certainly not unique mm-hmm. to uh, Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the religion of Islam also has a very long history of kind of trying to reconcile those things Mm -hmm. and before this there there had been early religious logicians Mm -hmm. who had what was called the theist defense which was an argument that said that god and evil could logically coexist okay the difference with theodicy is that theodicy is it's more of a framework Mm -hmm. where you take you take at its face that God exists, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the argument of, well, if this bad thing happens, then therefore God can't exist. So this whole religious philosophy movement basically came out of this gigantic event. Hmm. Also, we got to talk economics for a quick second here. Sure.
0: (laughs) Was there an economic impact too, Craig?
1: Uh, You would think that wiping out a vast portion of the city and the city's population might have some kind of... uh, some kind of impact, yeah. Um, somewhere between 32 and almost 50 percent of Portugal's GDP
0: that sounds about right, yeah,
1: was consumed in uh taking care of this uh recovery effort. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is that it had some unintended side effects that again were part of Pombal's overall attempt to make things a little less horrible for the people of Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that that this did was, uh, you know what you need a lot of when you're trying to rebuild a whole city? Money. You need a lot of money, but what are you going to use that money to pay for? Uh, labor. Materials <laughs> yeah. and construction workers, yep. people who know what they're doing. Because again, Pombal basically got to rule... At, in a de facto dictatorship. So he set uh, price controls and wage controls. Mm-hmm. So after setting these wage controls, what he noticed was that they were firmly ignored in certain certain vocations, one of which was construction work. Yeah. So construction workers were uh, paid a good amount of money at the time.
0: Yeah, I imagine the labor pool was not super competitive.
1: Uh, it, it became competitive because a lot of people suddenly discovered that they were in the construction business. Hey! <laughs> to add a little bit of fuel to the fire of the religious hysteria around this, mm-hmm. uh, have you ever heard of Sebastianism?
0: No, but I love it.
1: So, Sebastianism is a specifically Portuguese uh, messianic religious subgroup.
0: Is this Saint Sebastian? No,
1: it is based on the belief that King Sebastian of Portugal would return to lead Portugal in their hour of darkest time. You know, kind of like the Arthurian legends of Britain gotcha. and other, you know, one of these leaders will come back and lead us when we need them the most. Mm-hmm. Well. A Sebastianist very famously predicted in 1752, Mm -hmm. a Sebastianist predicted that an earthquake was going to wipe out Lisbon on All Saints Day. So All Saints Day of 1752 rolled around, nothing happened. 1753, nothing happened. 1754, nothing happened. And then this one hit in 1755, and a lot of people converted to Sebastianism. Don't you hate when you get the date right but not the year? <laughs> it's, so it's my annoying. it's my hardest problem when I'm making you know <laughs> massive predictions.
0: Okay, yeah, I imagine I think I would have been inspired to join these guys after right After right? this. Yeah. What didn't
1: wind up happening though, and fortunately for Portugal, mm-hmm. was a succession crisis. Okay. King Joseph I of Portugal uh, attended mass uh, they, they had attended a sunrise mass mm-hmm. and then one of the king's daughters wanted to spend All Saints Day away from Lisbon, so they were out of the palace. When the earthquake hit at around nine
0: forty-five. Almost as though they knew. Is there a conspiracy theory around this?
1: <laughs> really makes you think.
0: Really makes you think. <laughs> tinfoil hat, tinfoil hat.
1: Joseph the mm-hmm. First came back to see how the uh, you know, how his castle had basically collapsed. And absolutely would have collapsed all around him uh-huh. and he developed some pretty severe claustrophobia
0: yeah no kidding
1: to the to the point where he could not live within like a building oh dang. he needed to be outside at almost all times okay. so uh court moved to a uh, a bunch of tents and outdoor pavilions
0: not gonna lie I uh, love on the that. outskirts of lisbon very good
1: it's pretty great. It's sort of Shakespeare in the park all the time. And it
0: neatly avoids um, the construction worker shortage problem. You don't need construction workers for a tent.
1: Y- you don't. All right. And they're not building a new castle. I like this. So that's okay. pretty good. Um, also, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. because he was still around to write the letter, uh, Pombal survived the earthquake. Yes. There is an anachronistic quote that is absolutely not something he actually said, but something that people uh, often attribute to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when asked what was to be done by the wailing crowds of, of people who thought that the divine judgment was upon them, mm-hmm. Pombal was supposed to have said, quote, bury the dead and heal the living, end quote. Um, he absolutely <laughs> did not say that. Okay. That's a quote that's been attributed to him after the fact, but it's kind of a neat, you know, idea. Is it? Now, Pombal leaped into action. Okay. He almost personally, almost single handedly, started the relief efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, He organized people into firefighting brigades to uh, try to fight the you know, kill you from a hundred feet out
0: firestorm. Mm -hmm. That seems like a good thing to get under control.
1: He used state power to force Any laborer he pointed at, basically, which meant any ordinary citizen, uh, anybody who had a different job, uh, their jobs were to remove the thousands of corpses, load them onto barges, Mm -hmm. and uh, ship them out to sea and give them a burial at sea. Because one of the things that he absolutely did not want to have happen was have all those corpses start another plague.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you get all of the four horses. So,
1: yeah, exactly. Now the church opposed him on this. The church wanted church burials. Mm-hmm. And so here came Pombal's first major break with them saying, No. Uh, we're tossing them on boats and we're and we're throwing them in the ocean. That's just what's gonna happen. I can um, I can
0: see both sides of this, to be honest.
1: Well, I can see I can see the the healing of the like family unit side of the church, absolutely. But, uh,
0: but also there's an identification have... problem there too. You know, absolutely, thousands yeah, of yeah. people had to have been missing, and there was really yeah. no way to tell if if your family if members were, yeah were, had survived the earthquake unless or...
1: unless you happened to be well. Usually, what what happened was people were sent first mm-hmm. to take the dead out of their like their neighborhoods because mm-hmm. they knew where people would be. So it was likely that you would. You know, somebody who recognized your face might find your body, kind of a thing. That's, um, but yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah. Also, he called in the Portuguese army. Okay. Because you have a city in ruins, you have a population on the verge of just falling completely apart. The absolute last thing you want is. Looting, rioting, and violence.
0: And everybody is homeless at this point, right? If 85% of the buildings are gone.
1: A lot of people are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I could see this. Um, okay. He, and he set up the... And that was the other reason he called in the army, was to help set up um, tent camps mm-hmm. so people would have at least a canvas roof over their heads while reconstruction happened. Just
0: like the king. Yeah. He started a trend. Yeah.
1: It's... it's, it's you get to live... <laughs> Do you want to live just like a king? Well, have I got a tent for you.
0: That's kind of charming, actually.
1: To drive his point home Mm -hmm. with this whole no no violence, no rioting, no looting thing. uh, They prominently erected a series of gallows around the city. Yeah,
0: you got to have the the carrot and the big stick. Yep.
1: And well, they used the big stick, too, because anybody who was caught looting, uh, they just executed him immediately on... On basically the writ of Pombal's. Mm-hmm. Like Pombal just said, nope, kill him. And that was it. Uh, the other purpose of the army being there was to keep the people of the city in the city. Mm-hmm. So that they could be there to uh, do relief work and reconstruction work. Oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: People were trying to leave the city. Yeah. and And the army said, nope. You may stay in this tent, but uh, if you try to leave, you will be, uh, it won't go well for you.
0: That's really interesting. Okay. So there was no kind of evacuation, I guess is my question. No,
1: no evacuation. Okay. Other than to like the hillsides and tents, basically. However, this is the really cool bit. Pombal moved so quickly to rebuild the city. Mm -hmm. Remember, this earthquake struck on November 1st. On December 4th. They started reconstruction. Wow,
0: that's impressive. A month
1: after the earthquake, they're already ready to go. Hmm. So they had four plans presented by Manuel de Maya, who is the chief engineer to the realm. Mm-hmm. So he, he wanted to give the king and Pombal four options. Option number one, we abandon Lisbon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just abandon it, build a new city somewhere else. Option two, uh, rebuild the city basically how it was by reusing as much of the material that's just lying around as we can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Option three was kind of a halfway measure between abandoned and repair abandon the sections that are pointless to try to rebuild and use that material to repair the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But the fourth option, the fourth option was the one that they liked. And that was, let's knock everything else to the ground and remake the city from the ground up.
0: That is an enlightenment idea. I like it.
1: It absolutely was. And that's the one that Pombal and King Joseph said, yeah, let's do that one. Very cool. And they set about it with a plan to try to make Lisbon... The entire city, earthquake-proof.
0: Earthquake-proof, okay.
1: Or at least earthquake-resistant, okay. right? Okay, I'm,
0: I'm much more comfortable <laughs> with earthquake-resistant.
1: Right, because right. there's no whenever such thing as earthquake-proof. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that's usually a statement of hubris. Yeah, never mind.
0: Earthquake-resistant, I like that.
1: So what's interesting about their new plan was basically the city of Lisbon, as it is in modern times... Mm-hmm. Is very, very well laid out in certain sections. And then other sections, which are often called the old city sections, mm-hmm. are mostly either rebuilt using the same earthquake principles. Or were essentially suburbs of the Lisbon at the time and have just sort of been absorbed into the city over, over the time. So it's kind but of anyway, a mix. The main city itself that they rebuilt mm-hmm. is really cool. First of all, uh, they had to invent... A new style of building. Yeah, why not? Why not?
0: If you're going to be earthquake proof,
1: (laughs) it's called a Pombolina cage. Excuse me. It's called a Pomboline cage, named after, of course, our buddy Pombal. They figured out that buildings built out of masonry Mm -hmm. cracked and fell down during the earthquake. Wooden buildings survived a little bit better, a little more flex. Because wood, well, wood has more flexibility, Mm -hmm. right? So they invented these things, the pumbline Cage, which is a building that has a, an outer wall of masonry,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but an inner structure, almost like a cage, as it were, of wood.
0: Interesting.
1: Okay? And what that does is even if the masonry cracks, the wood holds mm-hmm. because the tension and compression won't affect it. However, masonry is a lot more effective than wood when a building catches on fire. I have noticed that, yeah. So timber flooring, but then the walls are made out of masonry and timber. So that it's it's more earthquake resistant mm-hmm. and it's not gonna burn down too easily. That is really
0: interesting. Okay.
1: Now can I can I tell you how they tested these? Because this <laughs> is my, my favorite they built my it favorite right like, little moment of then research they in set this it on fire. No. What they did was they built scale wooden models, mm-hmm. okay? And then <laughs> they set them up in a room and simulated the earthquake effects by having troops march around them. Okay. Right?
0: Sure. That's Isn't that cool? That's the same thing. Yeah.
1: And so, well, well, what happened is, yeah, if you've got a thousand <laughs> feet striking the floor at the same time, yeah, it's kind of like an earthquake. Okay. And the 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 models that they'd built with the with the Pombeline cage survived some of the masonry bits cracked off of them and fell but the buildings survived That's interesting really cool these buildings by the way mm-hmm. are still around today you can see them if you visit the lovely city of lisbon field trip so we have the economic impact we have the Religious impact, Mm -hmm. we have the uh, difficulties and frankly, genius ideas in rebuilding. Mm -hmm. Let's talk philosophy for a second.
0: (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I imagine this was like shaking up a lot of kind of structural ideas in philosophy.
1: Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) have you, uh, how familiar are you with Voltaire?
0: Uh, I'm a Diderot fan myself. I'm not too familiar with Voltaire. Okay. sorry. Okay.
1: Well, how, how familiar are you with Candide? Because Candide
0: oh, I is like Candide. One yeah. Of the,
1: yeah. Candide is one of the most biting, nasty pieces of satire and an absolute pillorying of the religious and philosophical principles of the day. Okay,
0: you say biting uh, and nasty, I say fun.
1: It is fun. It is a hell of a lot of fun. One of the main repeated refrains both in the book and the show of Candide mm-hmm. is the argument that this is the best of all possible worlds, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the satire where Voltaire is stating throughout Candide how how badly Lisbon the Lisbon earthquake like shook his philosophy. Mm-hmm by pointing out this this level of destruction this level of like almost religious divine judgment mm-hmm. and this is the best of all possible worlds yeah so Voltaire and this earthquake are are pretty well uh, intertwined that's really now, interesting now Immanuel Kant mm-hmm. had some stuff to say uh Kant had a theory earthquakes were caused by underground caverns filled with hot gases.
0: Yes, and we don't know for sure that's right? not true. <laughs> hat, What's hat.
1: interesting about that, mm-hmm. even though it's not you know, scientifically factual, mm-hmm. is that this this was the first time somebody had written
0: mm-hmm.
1: where an earthquake was ascribed to natural phenomena, mm-hmm. not supernatural explanation.
0: Interesting. Okay, I can see that.
1: Right. And the foundation of a lot of religious beliefs at the time were shaken to the point where uh, the church was still very, very much in power. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But uh, philosophy, especially Enlightenment philosophy started to really gain a foothold throughout Europe after this
0: that makes sense yeah
1: and finally let's talk politics for two seconds <laughs> I
0: thought we uh, already did
1: <laughs> we did oh we did we no, everything is politics when you get down to it yep uh so you know how uh Pombal was not liked by the uh, aristocracy of the time
0: I can see why people had issues with him but uh sure okay sure, but sure. we're fans go ahead well
1: Remember that they didn't like him because, you know, he wasn't royalty.
0: And he executed well, a
1: bunch of them, so. No, 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 not yet. That comes oh, later. Oh, okay. That this comes in 1758. Pretty... Yeah, well, in that case, is, I can't yeah, understand that, why that's they That's in had 1758. Problems with him. Okay. Well, they didn't like him basically just because he was, you know, he was an upstart. Sure. We can't have one of those people making decisions. I see. Okay. Um, the problem was that his response to this basically cut their knees out. And the old aristocratic factions of Portugal mm-hmm. lost a ton of their power. Hmm. However, one thing would lead directly to the other thing. What happens to people who are very used to having power when all of a sudden they find that it's not there anymore? What, what is the, the method they usually revert to, Ella?
0: They get mad, Greg. And
1: they do get mad. That
0: often turns to violence.
1: And they tend to get violent. Yeah. Exactly. Because of this, they started to resent Joseph I for even putting this Pombal guy in power. Sure. Which eventually, three years later, resulted in the Tavora affair with the attempted assassination of Joseph the I.
0: Oh, no. And he's still in his tent.
1: And then, of course, you have Pombal's reaction to that with the execution of everybody. So, the last thing I want to talk about with this earthquake Mm -hmm. uh, is the fact that this happened at a perfect time where science was just kind of starting to make its break away from what was called natural philosophy, Mm, right? The
0: humors of the body.
1: The humors of the body were still medical wisdom of the day, but people were kind of noticing that when the wind blows, sometimes these things happen. (laughs) And so this... The inquiry Mm -hmm. that Pombal set out to every single parish of the entire country, Mm -hmm. that was called the Parochial Memories of 1758. Mm -hmm. Once those came back to him, what he learned helped basically develop the rudiments of seismology.
0: See, this warms my heart. He had a big project. He got a lot of data. He looked at the data. Or he had people look at the data. And then he drew some conclusions. It's a scientific method. Baby. Baby scientific right. method. I love it.
1: It's baby scientific method, but you know what? And and the thing is, is that those answers to the inquiries are still archived, again, at the Torre do Tombo. Very cool. So modern scientists can cross-reference the accounts from the priests and the clerics mm-hmm. with the damage that was done and reconstruct the event with a lot of accuracy.
0: That's very cool.
1: It's very cool. And without Pombal sending that out, this would not have happened. Hmm. So Pombal is, it was, it was considered to be the, uh, the forerunner of modern seismology. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So what's not cool is the final death toll. Obviously, the, the numbers could not be known with any certainty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they are anywhere from 12,000 to 40,000 people killed. From the earthquake, the tsunamis, and the firestorm.
0: Did they keep records of the bodies that were recovered?
1: They did not keep, uh, as far as I could tell, Mm -hmm. they did not keep uh, very detailed records.
0: No, but would there have been like a count as each barge went out to sea?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find anything on that. The total death toll Mm -hmm. from this earthquake, including people from Portugal, people who had been hit by tsunamis in Spain, people who had been hit by the earthquake and tsunamis in Morocco, Mm -hmm. people out on the islands, all that stuff, and the people in Brazil, is probably greater than 50,000 people.
0: That is wild. From one event. Wow. Okay. From one
1: three- to six-minute event. Yikes. And that's it. That is the 1755 Lisbon earthquake, the earthquake that hit Portugal so hard, it shook the church.
0: That is quite in... I feel like we've been on a journey here. <laughs> that is just a yeah. lot to have happened all at once. Yeah. So, my question... Yeah, once I
1: started looking into this and it was like, you know, oh, here's the here's the death toll from the earthquake. Oh, okay, death toll from the earthquake. Here's the first tsunami. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, knew that we, I knew we were in for a lot of research on this one. It
0: truly is like yeah. an apocalyptic disaster movie. Yeah, um, it really, really very is. Very cinematic. I guess my question is, how long yeah. did it take for Portugal to kind of recover from the worst of this?
1: So it depends on which metric you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of rebuilding Lisbon, that took you know a few years, mm-hmm. but with the new city plans in hand and a lot of very dedicated and very motivated and very well-paid workers, mm-hmm. I believe the reconstruction was finished in under a decade. That's incredible. Wow. However... The economic impacts lasted for decades, Mm. uh, long after Joseph I uh, had passed away and his daughter Maria had taken the throne, Mm -hmm. uh, who was the first woman queen of Portugal, by the way. Oh, Maria. Uh, The first, well, sole ruling woman. I mean, kings had had queens, but she was the one in charge this time. Uh, And also part of her thing was uh, she didn't like what Pombal had done in terms of some of the more autocratic decisions he'd made so she removed him from power and he died at his uh, family estate in 1782.
0: He does sound like a very polarizing person.
1: He is he's something of a national
0: hero in Portugal
1: but you can also see why he doesn't
0: have a ton of close friends at the same time.
1: (laughs) Yeah 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 I mean like all like all historical heroes there's you know the the great uh, the great war leader king to one faction is the great oppressor king to the other faction so you know mm-hmm. he was a, he was a person who had an awful lot of power and did some good with it and did some bad with it.
0: Well, it sounds like his disaster response was on point.
1: His disaster response was absolutely on point and uh, and without him I honestly this is the like, this is kind of the hard part, but this is the argument to be made mm-hmm. for this style of autocratic dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Um, having, having him be the person to be able to tell everybody, you're doing this now and have full control over the army, full control over uh, the, you know, managing the economy, full control over deciding what was going to happen next. Right. He, j- he happened to be the right person in that place. The problem with dictatorships is that more often than not it's not the right person of
0: competence in that place. Yeah, so, it's a lot of you go. power and responsibility for one person. But at the same time is. that is the fastest way to make an effective decision. Yep. <laughs> so great job. No notes. Um <laughs> <laughs> some notes. Here at Relative Disasters, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know.
1: You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to share some insights we missed or just shame us publicly. You know you do. Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters? We want to thank all of our patrons who support us at Relative Disasters Podcast on Patreon. You help keep us ad-free, and we appreciate that. Today's episode is brought to you by Ellie and Al, Assistant Pumbelene Cage Designers. Nice.
0: Excellent work.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. Well, my sister has selected our next disaster, so what's it going to be, Ella?
0: Uh, Greg, we have talked about the German airship program, we have talked about the English airship program, and now it's time to talk about the Americans. Next week? <laughs> what?
1: Okay. I just, I love that you're on an airship kick this year. I, 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 I dig it. I love airships.
0: You should hear what a disaster I am at parties. The minute somebody asks what I do, (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, I have a day job, but I'm really into airships. Would you like to hear more about the Hindenburg? It's a real problem. Uh, But I'm actually going to tell you about an accident that is the deadliest airship accident, but it's one that doesn't get a lot of attention. And that is the wreck of the USS Akron. So we're going to talk about that next week. It is a wild story.
1: Yeah, that sounds really amazing, and I cannot wait to talk about it with you.